And I think the idea is, is the pursuit of best practice. What's best practice? What's going to be the best way to do this? The most efficient way, the way that, you know, if we, if we're talking strength and conditioning, okay, do no harm because there may be, there may be ideas. People say, Oh, this really works. But I sometimes look at things and say, okay, what's, what's the orthopedic cost of that exercise? What's the risk of injury in this particular exercise? Welcome to the Movable Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. Here's your host, my daddy, Brian Lane. All right, today's guest is one of the most well-known experts in the field of strength and conditioning and functional training. He's been the strength and conditioning coach of Olympic gold medalists and World Series champs. I am honored to have the privilege to talk today with Mike Boyle. Mike, thanks for coming on to the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. Been getting a lot of podcasting done here during quarantine, so it's good. Yeah, good. Same here. Um, I don't know about you. I mean, up here in Rochester, we don't really have the nicest weather. And I know down there in Massachusetts, you're not too much different from us. The seasons are more extreme once in a while. But I've been seeing a lot more kids and families playing outside than I ever have during this pandemic. What about you? I would say probably the same. Kids, more kids in their driveway, more kids, because they just, there's nothing else. The good mm-hmm. thing, that, that may be one of the silver linings of this thing is parents playing with their kids more, because I know that, you know, you, that's a big part of what we're going to talk about. But I, I think um, kids aren't failing, but parents are. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Um, you got to play with your kids. Mm-hmm. And you have to teach I think, you know, I always said my kids would basically do almost anything to spend time with me when they, particularly when they were very young, you know, mm-hmm. whether that was playing catch or shooting hockey pucks or, or whatever it was. And if you want your kids, I remember I went to my first little league baseball practice and I was a little bit concerned with my son. because I was like, oh, geez, you know, he's, he's not great. You know, and this was whatever, T-ball. Yeah, little league, but it was you know it was t-ball, so I'm going to say they were seven or something like that, and and I'm thinking, you know, I hope he's not so far behind. And I get there, and there, I would say eighty percent of the kids couldn't catch or throw, <laughs> wow. and, and a good percentage of them, it was obvious that they had never tried, that no one had ever attempted to play catch with them. And I, I remember being so proud of my son because you know they line everybody up to play catch. Yeah. And kid my son is playing with every ball my son throws hits him like it hits him in the chest hits him in yeah. the arm hits him in the head because he can't catch at all yeah. and my son is like oh nice try yep nice try move your glove you know trying to <laughs> encourage him and i'm just i felt so bad for the kid and i thought how can a parent send a kid to whatever t-ball baseball little league whatever it is and have never played catch with their kid yeah that's crazy it's crazy but it was not crazy it was actually it was a, a significant percentage of the kids that were there. It was obvious that this was their first experience with a glove and playing catch with somebody else. I mean, I even like, and I'm like you, I'm, I'm by, by training a physical educator. So I mm-hmm. even remember when I was a kid, I went out and bought like the, the Velcro mitts, you know, kind of flat <laughs> thing that you could just throw the ball at so that oh, yeah. all they had to do was hit the ball. Just with have it. your hand there. Yeah. And they'd catch, you know, it would, and you know, there's, there's so many things that you can do with kids that will teach and encourage success. Mm-hmm. You know, we went out and bought like the scooter bikes to learn to ride a bike, which they do in Europe all the time, but they don't do here. The bikes with no pedals where the kids can just scooter along. So they don't have to worry about, oh, learning. Yeah. they don't have to worry about learning pedals. They just worry about learning to balance. Yeah. And, and there are just all these things that, that I looked at and I felt like, wow, I didn't think I did a great job because I wasn't around enough with my kids when they were young. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at some comparables and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm dad of the year right now because <laughs> I look a lot better than I looked before. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, again, with the whole T-ball thing, I would expect kids to come to T-ball without an understanding of the game, how the, how the actual game might be played. But as far as throwing and catching and maybe trying to hit a ball, that, like you said, you would think that parents would have spent a little bit of time with their kids just playing, just playing catch and hitting a ball. I think if for nothing else, like I said, to, to try to, to set your kid up from a – I guess from a self-image standpoint, to have a little bit of success mm-hmm. and not to send them there totally 
unequipped and expect some dad because I mean when you get t-ball that's what you have not that some dad is a bad thing but I mean you know you're not necessarily sending them to be instructed by trained physical educators or coaches or people like that Mm -hmm. somebody's dad sometimes you get great dads and sometimes you get dads who have no idea what they're doing yeah and uh I mean I've had and I it's hard for me I I have to bite my tongue sometimes when I watch because it's (laughs) I always think, okay, if you didn't volunteer to coach, then keep your mouth shut. And I didn't volunteer to coach. So yeah. sometimes when I watch, I think, oh, my God. Because I, I don't like – I'm not – I've sort of established the fact, at least in my own head, that I'm not great with kids. I was meant to coach older athletes. Yep. And probably that's because that's where all of my time has been spent. It's what I'm good at. Okay. So even now, I, I've been – I've always trained my kids in the weight room, probably both of them since they were 10, 11. And it's so hard. Oh my God. I, I give, I mean, I, I admire people who can coach kids and keep their patience and not swear at them and not cause it's, it, I, I still with my 15 year old, he tests me almost every day we go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. And you get so many different things at different ages. I mean, I teach the elementary level. So the highest I go up is fourth grade, but anything beyond that, once you get into middle school, that's out of my range. And then there are certain people that are well-equipped to deal with middle schoolers. Middle schools are the worst, in my mind. (laughs) Knowing that you're not really supposed to work with kids, but you're better off as a coach and working with the older ones or adults, that's one thing I've admired about you over the years has been just your ability to be aware of what works and what doesn't or what you're good at and what you're not good at. And one thing in particular is I like how you're not afraid to try a new program or try something new, fully endorse it, and then not too long after that, be like, you know what? I don't like this anymore. It doesn't work. Let's can it. Let's try something else. Have you always been like that? or I, I think I have. I think I've always been by nature curious, and I've always wanted to look at what successful people were doing mm-hmm. and at least say, okay, let's let's give this a try. Let's look at this and see. And we do it, I'd say it to, it, to the guys that work with us all the time. They'll, you know, People talk, well, what about this? And I'm like, well, try it. Let's try it for a month. And see what we think at the end of a month. Do we do we find it to be teachable? Because that's the one thing, particularly, in, I guess, in any activity. Is it teachable and is it learnable? Hmm. Because sometimes there are really good ideas. Yeah. And then you go and try to implement that idea. You try to teach it and you realize, wow, this isn't easy to teach. Or you watch somebody sure. try to learn something and you realize, wow, this isn't very easy to learn. Therefore, probably not something that we're going to be successful with long term, even though someone else may say, oh, this is the greatest technique ever. And I would look and go, I mean, in our experience, no. Mm-hmm. And that's all the only experience we have is our own. What, you know, we can go and look at, but I do think you have to be willing to try. You can't say, oh, I'm never going to, I like, I get very aggravated when people say, like people say, I don't use, I don't like agility ladders. And I'm like, well, do you use them? No, I never use them. Hmm. Like, well, how do you really know that you don't like it? If you haven't tried to implement it into your program, you don't really know if you don't like it. You just know that someone else told you it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And then you're taking their opinion at face value. And we see that a lot in strength and conditioning. You know, there are other people, oh, we never use a slide board. You know, and I'm like, why not? Oh, so-and-so said it's not good. And I said, have you ever tried slide boarding with your athletes? No, we've never done it. We don't even have any. Yeah. Well, it's hard to be anti something without trying it. So we try stuff. Yeah, we experiment. And, and I think the idea is is the pursuit of best practice. What's best practice? What's going to be the best way to do this? The most efficient way, the way that, you know, if we if we're talking strength and conditioning, okay, do no harm. Because there may be there may be ideas people say, oh, this really works. But I sometimes look at things and say, okay, what's what's the orthopedic cost of that exercise? What's the risk of injury in this particular exercise? Mm-hmm. And and some people, oh that just, you know, hey, you know, it happens. People are going to get hurt. Kind of like, yeah, I mean, not really. And especially when you're dealing, I would say, when you're dealing with someone's children, mm-hmm. you can't operate on the premise of, well, you know, we're going to break a few eggs. That's going to happen. I don't think that's a good premise to operate from. I think you've got to operate from the premise of, no, I want this to be as safe as it can possibly be because these are people's children. People have to be willing to, as we said, look at, look at and look for best practice and say, okay, what is in this particular case, what's the best practice? What are people having success with I hate to say it in college if somebody gets hurt in college it's not as big a deal and I always think sometimes that makes college strength coaches lazy because you have this sort of um 
built-in crutch. Go to the training room. Go see the trainer. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes you can be a not great coach and just sort of lean on your training room and break some eggs and kick some kids out. Okay, hey, up that kid got hurt. All right, go to the train. Go see the trainer. Mm-hmm. When you're in the private sector and you're dealing with people's children on a regular basis, you don't have that luxury. So you've got to make sure that what you're doing is going to be both um, safe and effective, not just effective. And I think there are some things that people might swear are effective, but it will have, and I said this, it'll have an orthopedic cost. Yeah, There'll be a, a breakage rate, I guess is the best way to look at it. And so we try to stay away from some of the things with higher breakage rates. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the worst excuses I always hear from those types of coaches or trainers is that, well, people get hurt all the time in soccer or basketball, but that's a un, that's an unpredictable environment when they're in gameplay right. like that. And, and my thing is that still shouldn't happen. Yeah. And it's clearly not an excuse. It's not an excuse in tr- for training that, oh, people are going to get hurt in training because they get hurt in games, as you said, because it is an unpredictable environment. In training, we have a 100% predictable environment. Mm-hmm. So no one should get hurt. I agree. And I still believe even in sport, if you do a good job with your athletes, your your injuries, I mean, I always say, you know, you're not going to prevent injuries because mm-hmm. that puts you sort of in a godlike position. Mm-hmm. But you'll significantly reduce the chances of your athletes getting injured if your athletes are properly prepared. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I don't I, I'm totally not accepting of that premise that oh people get hurt and it's just it's that's part of it because it's not mm-hmm. really not with training. With training, not at all. Yeah, I agree. It should you should be able to control that as much as possible when they're in your care. Absolutely. Uh, so, so to change gears a little bit, as a PE teacher, one kind of hurdle that I deal with sometimes is differing philosophies on when kids should start weight training or strength training. Um, so I figured that would be a great question to ask the expert, see what your thoughts are on that. Um, I'll be honest. I think that the best age is somewhere around 11. If someone okay. said to me, what's your opinion? Because, and it's not a physical thing. I don't think there's any physical danger. The, the stunting growth, damaging growth plates, there's no evidence for any of that stuff, which is, it's amazing to me that some of those old wives tales have managed to persist mm-hmm. as long as they have, yeah. because they have no scientific basis at all. I always tell people, when you can find me this study about weight training, damaging your growth plate, bring it to me and we'll read it together. Yeah. And, and when you do it, bring along the one about weight training, stunting your growth. Because they won't find either one of them. If they do, it will be some outlandish stretch. Like the a guy, that's, it was a really good New York Times article that I saved in my computer where a guy really tried to do the background on weight training will stunt your growth. Okay. And the closest thing he could come up with from talking to a bunch of experts was a study on Japanese forced child labor. And the study showed that Japanese children who were forced to do labor yep. were shorter than their, uh, you know, than the control group, their counterparts, whatever it yeah. was. And, and you're like, so that's somehow we get that is weight training stunts your growth. Yeah, exactly. So that type of stuff that we get, the difference though, in terms of when kids are ready is when are they psychologically ready for the regimentation that comes with strength training? Because with strength training, weight training, whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. There's an attention span aspect of it. It's a very high teach kind of atmosphere. And mm-hmm. I found that the kids under 11 do not do well. They don't have the attention span and to, to spend an hour learning the fundamentals of strength training. True. And I don't know if they really should be. If they, you know, if they only have an hour a day, you know, they shouldn't be spending doing lunges and push-ups and chin-ups. That time is going to be much better spent on their basic sports skills, on you know, and being out and running and jumping and kicking and throwing. I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to underlie training much better yeah. that needs to get done in those early years. One of the training yeah. things that I do like it is um, on my strengthcoach.com website, I have an article about the Titleist Performance Institute, which is Greg Rose and Dave Phillips. Okay. It's something they called the cyclone circuit. And hmm. In the cyclone, the cyclone circuit was basically this idea that we're going to do a circuit. And I want to say there were 11 stations. There might have been 13 or 14. I forget what it was. But it was basically the idea that you were going to 
strike something with an implement, like shoot a hockey puck or hit a baseball. Or in their case, they were using cricket bats and large playground balls to try to okay. teach golf swing. Hmm. And then they were teaching kicking. And you know, they, they had something that has rotation, something that was crawling, something that was climbing, something that was jumping, something that, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the whole idea was that it wasn't weight training. It was more movement education and looking at all of these things that kids are going to have to do mm-hmm. and introducing them to that in circuit fashion. I used to do it with my kids all the time and I'd call it the ADD Olympics because okay. you know, we'd just play something long enough for them to get tired. Or we'd go to the gym. I always remember on Sundays, rainy Sundays, sometimes I'd take my son to the gym and he'd be like, okay, what do you want to do? Uh, let's play off the wall with the tennis ball. Okay. <laughs> so we play off the wall with the tennis ball for two minutes. Yeah. Can we shoot hockey pucks now? Yeah. Then we kick the soccer. Can we kick the soccer ball? Okay. Can we make an obstacle course? Yes. You know what I mean? It's just like, and yeah, that's, that's great. ADD and, Olympics, you called it? ADD Olympics. And we, do it <laughs> yeah. like, we do that for, I'd try to do it for an hour on a rainy okay. Sunday just yeah. to get them out. And interestingly, both of my kids are very good athletes. Hmm. And I don't think, uh, they certainly don't get it from me. Maybe they get it from their mother, but I, I was a, yeah. I was an extremely average athlete. My kids are very much above average. Okay. But I think some of it was the fact that we just, we played mm-hmm. and we played lots of things that developed basic fundamental motor skills and things and they were think, interested in too. Yeah. Things they were interested in. And mm-hmm. when they got disinterested, you know, we never made it. It was like, Oh, you know, you have to do this many minutes of this. It was like, okay, we're done. All right, let's shoot baskets now, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Let's play catch, you know, baseball season. Okay. Let's play catch. My son every day would let's play catch. I can remember when I was working for the Red Sox, I was exhausted because I was working two jobs. Some of the weeks they were home, I'd work a hundred hours that week when they were home. And, uh, and I, you know, in between working at the gym and then leaving and going to Fenway, my son would always be like, can we play catch? And I used to look at my wife and I'm like, Oh God. And I I literally said, I set a goal for myself that I was going to play with my son for 15 minutes each day. And I would set a timer on my phone. (laughs) And I'd go out and I'd play catch in the street. Yeah. But interestingly enough, parents, I still remember not parents, but neighbors, my cross the street neighbor came to me and gave me a big bag full of baseballs. And he said, I want you to have these. Well, he said, you're the only dad I ever see play with his kid. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And I thought that is terrible. It's awful that somebody that someone recognizes me. And here I am putting in 15 minutes on the clock, literally doing it. But I look like the neighborhood hero because I have to get outside with my kid in the street, you know, and play catch and throw grounders and throw pop-ups or whatever it was. Or I'd take my kid to, you know, to the field and throw batting practice for, you know, whatever, for, yeah. you know, for a half hour so he could hit. And he wasn't, you know, he ended up not like he liked baseball, but he didn't pursue baseball. But mm-hmm. during baseball season, we played baseball. Yeah. You know, and, and I always tell people, like, we facilitate. I actually bought the house that we're in right now. I bought it for the yard because it has a huge yard full of cross because my son is a really good lacrosse player and it's got tons of grass and we put up, you know, we put posts up and put nets up and, but you know, I think you, if you want your kids to learn how to practice, you need to facilitate practice. Yeah. You know, which means like I always tell the kids, I'll get you anything you need to practice if you'll use it. <laughs> and my kids are very good. You know, we've got a hockey net and tiles to shoot off of and, you know, a lacrosse net and a bounce back. And, you know, in their investments in your kids' physical well-being. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing. You know, people have no problem going out and buying an Xbox. Oh, yeah. But, but they'll about, you know, the cost of a lacrosse net or, you know, yep. trying to put netting or buying balls. Like, I buy balls. The balls go in the woods. I buy more balls. Yeah. I'm the one who goes in the woods and retrieves the balls. My son, you know, he's a typical 15-year-old. He chucks a ball in the woods. Oh, that one's gone. Yeah. You know, I'll go Xbox cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah, exactly. And I'll go out in the woods and, and look around. Yeah. Fine. You know, I'll come back with five balls. I'm like, yep. I, you know, I look looking for one. I got five because you issued one. I wasn't here. Yeah. But that's the kind of stuff that it's on us. Mm-hmm. And it's that way with everything. I mean, and I think in some ways I've failed my kids a little bit more academically because they don't like to read. Hmm. And I can't get them to read as much as I can get them to play sports. And my wife sometimes says, well, that's because we put a lot of emphasis on sports. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, but I read every day. They see me read every day. We've encouraged them to read. And for whatever reason, they don't have the same interest. Yeah. Well, you never know because I, I was like your kids. I didn't like reading at all when I was younger and was all about sports. And then now as an adult, 
I love to read. Still love sports, but I'm like you. I'm reading all the time, and I'm hoping that my son recognizes that too. Yeah, I'm hoping. God, am I hoping that that's going to change. <laughs> yeah. It's all, you know, what do they say? Hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you never know until you get there. But I, I've had a lot of people tell me the same thing in terms of their kids mm-hmm. develop that love of reading later. Yeah. You talked about starting strength training or weight training at 11 or so. So let's say they come to your gym or the kids come to a gym at 12 years old and want to start strength training. What ways do you make it fun for them? Do you have any tips for trainers out there to, because obviously you don't want it to be all fun and games, but I don't know if we try to make it fun. Kids are going to try to have a lot of fun on their own. Yeah. I think most of the time we try to control the fun (laughs) because because I don't think that that's the problem. Generally speaking, Mm -hmm. I think the problem is getting the kids to take it serious and to listen and to pay attention and, Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I don't think, I think we do a really good job with the kids that we train, but I don't think we have any particular magic about it in terms of one of the things is with kids, keep them moving, keep them busy. Yep. Because we talk about the idea, don't talk for more than 10 seconds. Hmm. You know, don't, don't talk. If you can just keep them, demonstrate a drill, have them do the drill. Because they're not getting tired. They're not lifting heavy enough weights. And, you know, they you go into the idea, you know, idle hands of the devil's workshop, right? When you get, especially the boys, when young boys have a moment break in the workout, yeah, they will do something stupid. Yeah, I agree. Boys See. are like a walking Murphy's Law in yep. terms of, you know, anything. If you said to me, I always say, think of the stupidest thing that could possibly happen and then imagine a middle school boy doing it because <laughs> he probably will. Yep. So we're very much like fail-safe planning in terms of, you know, you, you've got to watch them all the time. You can't give them any opportunity where they could do something dumb because they will. Mm-hmm. And you'll know which ones. There'll be certain kids that are in the group that are that are kind of ringleader, risk taker types who will try to lead everybody down that path. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it is, I mean, I spend a lot of my time saying, hey, pay attention. Let's go. I, I can't tell you, even today, my son and his friend, both 15 great athletes. Both of them are really, really good athletes. And I'm like, focus, focus. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Stop dancing. Stop. You know what I mean? It's like they just, they're, they're like, uh, I have a slide in my, uh, one of my presentations and it's a a cowboy out West hurting cats, you know, and it said (laughs) cat hurting, nothing like it. And that's middle school boys. I mean, it is just cat hurting at its best in terms of, you know, they hit each other, they pull each other, they bang, you know, they're just, they can't stop themselves from being idiots. Yeah. So, uh, so there is no attempt on our part to make anything fun at all. <laughs> That's a good point. I like that. It's funny because I've had some girls that were around middle school age training them. And one thing I noticed with them a little bit different from the boys is they'll just in between sets start doing cartwheels across the gym and things like that. So they're not goofing around necessarily, but they're just kind of playing it in their own little world or chatting it up in between. And then they get yeah, back into it. Girls, the girls are different in terms of girl, the girls are not as, I think malicious is the wrong word. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, mm-hmm. but girls tend to be better rule followers and, and are going to kind of do what you want them to do. But it's the same thing. Like you said, doing cartwheels. If any of them, if you give them time, yep. they can find something to do. Yeah. But again, we're programmed as coaches. Oh, you got Oh, we've got to rest two minutes between sets. Yeah, I know. Like that, and you think, no, we don't want to rest two minutes between sets. We want to be moving pretty okay. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? We're always thinking what's next so that we can keep them moving. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine then you favor a lot of, not necessarily circuits, you don't have to call it a circuit, but you move from probably one station to the next with very yeah, little we, downtime we in between. Call them tri-sets. So a lot yep. of times for us, we would be doing, say, a lower body exercise and an upper body exercise and a core exercise, and they would be done in succession. Mm-hmm. And again, I always think you can rest as long as you need to rest if you're tired. If you're not tired, just go do the next thing. Yeah. And and it, it works really well because if you get them tired, good. Mm-hmm. Then they'll rest. But then it's like if they're not, okay, what are you doing? You know, I'm constantly, what do you got next? Where are you mm-hmm. supposed to be? I mean, it's, it's a very, um, it's kind of a very mentally exhausting process. Yeah. I, agree. I would want to do it all day. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I know. So let's say we have some parents listening to this and they're, they have middle schoolers at home and they want to start strength training with them or weight training with them. Are there a few movements that you would recommend they focus on? 
Uh, there are, I, I guess the first thing I'd say if there are parents that wanted their kid to start strength training, I would say, as with anything else, find someone who is good at it and have them do it. Yep. Do not try to do it yourself. Yeah, good point. It, it, so, because again, if you ask parents that, okay, how many parents really know how to teach a squat? How many parents mm. know how to deadlift? How many parents know how to teach the hand clean? How many parents know how to teach, I mean, chin up, I guess, chin up and push up are pretty simple and parents could probably master that. But in general, I would tell parents to try to find somebody who does this for a living and have them do it because it's, mm-hmm. it's not something that is easily done and it's not necessarily a great parent-child interaction. It's not like going out and playing catch. Mm-hmm trying to get your kid to work out and to train and to do it right is, uh, is a chore yeah. and it takes some expertise. So I would tell them, find somebody with some expertise and see if you can do it. The good thing is almost everywhere. Now there are sports performance programs for kids. And I think there's varying levels of good and bad, but mm-hmm. there's a lot more good than bad these days. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll, sh- I'll shift perspectives then to PE teachers. What, if you were to be a PE teacher, are there certain things that you would really like to see done in school by the PE teachers? Yeah, the PE teachers, I would if it was me. I think pretty much early on, I would try to have different tracks in terms of, okay, hey, these kids are involved in sports and they want to do sports performance training. Let's teach them how to do that. Okay. These kids are not interested in sports and they need to learn about kind of lifetime fitness and enjoying exercise. I think because, you know, you think of the old PE model and we just kind of forced everybody into team sports games and there were kids who were just mm-hmm. traumatized by it because they were they never good at it and yep. they never wanted to be good at it. it mm-hmm. You know, for some of those kids, a walking club might be great. You know, a yoga class might be great. Well, I'm not a yoga fan per se, but you know, some sort of stretching, you know, a class that was just centered around learning basic strength training, but mm-hmm. that's not going to serve the athlete kid. I think what we end up doing is we try to serve everybody equally. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we don't serve anybody. Mm-hmm. That's where it's problematic. I think you should have two completely different tracks for kids realizing that, you know, we do that academically and we have no problem with it from an academic standpoint. They yeah. have honors for kids that are academically, um, motivated mm-hmm. and you know when you look at that why should we not have physical education that are that is similar yeah a little more individualized yeah or at least i mean gr- grouped like they would mm-hmm. with class you know like i know my son's classes they have honors they have what they call strong college prep and then i don't even know what the third level is called mm-hmm. but, you know there's one for kids who really want to be challenged in that subject this one for kids who, hey, I want to go to college, but I don't necessarily want to take honors chemistry. And then there's another level for, I guess, kind of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And we have no problem with that, but yet we don't want to do that in a physical education standpoint. And I don't really see why not. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's something to definitely think about. Because I think it's, obviously, you don't want to create any kind of clicks where some kids think they're better than others. but We've seen it done, like you said, in just regular class in the classroom setting in academics where you have different levels of uh, talent, if you will, or like you said, interest in the subject. So I think that is a good idea to try to do in phys ed too. Well, but like I say, you don't want to create clicks, but you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It happens because, you know what, and, and the happening part of it is usually, you know, it's such a way that it makes kids uh, have a negative view of exercise. Mm-hmm. Because you you throw the athletes in with kids who are maybe non-athletes and then suddenly those non-athlete kids either, you know, don't get to play or don't touch the ball or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then they come away with the impression that exercise is just a, a bad thing. Exercise is something that I'm not going to do because I'm not good at it. Like you, if you're not trying to be an athlete, you shouldn't worry about being good at exercise. Exercise isn't something you need to be good at. It's just what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and you want to teach, you know, it's kind of like the whole wellness idea. I like the wellness idea, mm-hmm. but I think you have to realize that there are some kids who want something beyond wellness. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd look at it and think, you know, when, when my kids came back and said, oh, you know, in gym, we did walking today. I can remember thinking, what a waste of time. 
Well, what the heck are my kids doing walking around the track? Yeah. They're athletes, you know, this, uh, that they're wasting time and energy. Yep. And, but for, for some other kids, like you said, to get some other kids moving who don't move and to get kids outside and to get them physically active, I would look at that and think that that was a really good thing for them. So I guess mm-hmm. it's more, um, I don't necessarily think individualized is the right word, but just something that's a little more appropriate to where the person is, as we said, much like yeah. it would be with academics. And you should get a chance to pick. Yeah. So that you, you know, you're with kids that, that are similar of ability and ability to you. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you, you don't get embarrassed and have a negative experience with exercise. You realize that, Hey, it's fun to play soccer with a bunch of kids that are like me. It's like when we played intramural soccer, I, you know, I never played soccer. I was a football player, but in college mm-hmm. we played intramural soccer and I had fun playing soccer. Yeah. But they, the soccer players were on the soccer team. Yeah. yeah. And everybody else was running around playing intramurals and it was fun. Yeah. Where if the soccer players were with you, you might not have had as much fun if you're getting crushed. Right. And you wouldn't have had as much fun because you wouldn't have touched the ball. Yep. And, you know, you would have run around a lot and, and it wouldn't have been as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in some ways, I, you know, and, and you hate to say it, but in some ways I would be fine. You know, if you've got kids that are playing organized team sports and you exempt them from PE, go ahead. You're probably doing everybody a favor. Mm-hmm. I saying, Hey, I know this kid, like the good thing about my kids all through high school, they got a minimum of an hour a day of exercise after school, not including their physical education time mm-hmm. because they had some, you know, generally they were in two sports most of the time. And there was a practice and or game just about every day after school, there was something that they were going to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at those kids and say, Hey, those kids don't have the need for physical education. And they're the ones who, probably take over the games and things that are done in phys ed. Mm-hmm. You're better off saying to those kids, Hey, you know, you're going to do this after go study. I'd rather have my kid get an extra study or time or the reading tutor or something like that. Yeah, than our, you know, then an hour of phys ed and let the, let phys ed be for the kids who really need physical education. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, I don't know if it will ever get to that, but I think that would, to me, that would make perfect sense. It's what they do. Like if you look at the private school model, that's what they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are great ideas because one, one of the problems I see that I hear a lot from high school PE teachers is just a lot of the athletes like you're talking about are disengaged. They don't really want to participate in high school PE because it's either boring, they don't want to get sweaty because they have a game later that day or whatever it is. But I, I think if we we approach it in one of those ways you suggested, either take them out of phys ed because they're already getting that activity time after school and let them focus on academics or kind of tier it or categorize them in a way that's more developmentally appropriate that might help too. Yeah, that I think there's no question. And and it's funny, and I guess some people look at that and think it, you know, it's oh you're giving preference to athletes. I don't think that's what you're doing. I think you're actually creating a better environment for I don't want to say for non athletes or regular you know, like I don't know what word, you know, we need to, it's funny now we we need appropriate euphemisms for everything so we don't yeah. make anybody feel bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the appropriate euphemisms are in this particular situation. But I do think it's easy. Like you said, you take these kids out who are disengaged, who don't want to be there, like you said, mm-hmm. because they have practice, because they have a game, because they're doing something. Say, okay, these kids really don't need this. You know, you give them, hey, if you play a sport, whether it's, you know, freshman football or JV football or varsity football, whatever it is, that's your credit for physical education for the fall. If you play three sports, you get all your physical education credits taken care of because you went to practice every day after school. And then the physical educators can concentrate on giving a good physical education experience to everybody else. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is a much better um, situation. Yeah, I agree. How do you feel about sports specialization? I know some people are totally against it altogether. I, well, I'm totally against it until it's time to do it. Mm-hmm. So the problem with sports specialization, I think somewhere around 14 years of age, you're going to need to figure out what you want to be good at. Okay. Again, I have, you know, I've got all these talks that I've done, but in my, my early specialization thing, one of the things, one of the slides that I have says Chip Hilton is dead. You know, the, the, the three sport star yeah. is the thing of the past. Mm-hmm. It's really rare that a kid is going to be good in three sports in high school. And I think if a kid thinks that he can play in college, he may need to specialize sophomore or junior year. Some kids, you may need to give up your other sports. That's mm-hmm. that's a distinct possibility. 
So in that way, I am pro-specialization. I am anti-specialization when you have somebody whose kid is eight and they tell you that he's a soccer player yep, or he's a hockey player mm-hmm. or he's a baseball player. You're doing your child a disservice when you specialize them prior to 14. What you want is, and you know this as well as I know this because you've been in this business for a while, but um, the best athletes usually have to choose. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of, um, you know, they need to specialize. Mm-hmm. It's a question of, I got to pick a sport because I'm, I'm really good at everything. My yeah. son, in all honesty, is in that boat in terms of he was good at baseball. He was good at lacrosse. He was good at ice hockey. He's been pretty much good at My daughter was the same way. My daughter was whatever she tried, she was good at. Mm-hmm. My daughter specialized at about 13. She knew she was going to be a hockey player. She was like, I'm, she, she wrote her goals. I'm getting a Division One scholarship. Hmm. She had a Division One scholarship by the time she was 15 years old. Wow. You know, she was already committed. And, um, you know, and so it was kind of like, Hey, the the eggs are all firmly in one basket. We know what direction this kid is going. I made her play her last U14 year of soccer. I said, you're going to play spring soccer. You know, there's no reason not to, there's no, you know, you don't need to play spring hockey. Let's finish out soccer, have some fun. Mm -hmm. And funny, she, she tore her MCL in one of the games playing and they were playing with eight girls. They didn't have enough girls to play. She's playing. And they take her out of goal and move her to forward because they're down a goal and she ends up falling, getting hurt. Oh, and that sucks. If she, if she tore her ACL in this meaningless spring upper yep. game, I'm going to kill myself. That's when and it happens, it, it seems like. Yeah, it ended up that she was fine, but it was okay. but I made her do it. I said, No, you, there's no reason for you not to play this last year U fourteen soccer. Mm-hmm. Whereas with my son, we I encouraged him to give up baseball and say, just concentrate on lacrosse and hockey. They're very complimentary. And they're easy to do together. Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing that probably, he's 15, probably since he was 12, he's basically been in two sports. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I mean, he's one of these kids, he really wants to play both right through high school. Yeah. And I hope that he does. And I hope that he can be good and have success at both of those. But, it, you know, everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I just see a lot of parents get caught in the trap of thinking that they got to start their kids earlier than the next kid, than the neighbor next to them. and they have to play all year round in order to get ahead. And I see it in baseball a lot, especially kids just butchering their arms and their shoulders just because they're throwing way too much at a young age. And some of them are doing three games in one weekend. Yeah. Oh, we see it all the time. We see it here. Here it's, 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 in, it's baseball here. It's hockey here. Um, it's even to some degree, a little bit of lacrosse, but you know, mm-hmm. basketball is that way. You've got AAU basketball, which goes all summer. Everybody, I always said, the entrepreneurs are ruining youth sports because they mm-hmm. make it year round. And I always tell people, follow the money. If, if the person who's trying to get you to do it year round makes money off doing it year round, then you know what the motivation is. But sure. some of them, like USA soccer has, has been doing it. USA soccer is forcing kids to specialize at younger ages. And mm-hmm. they're sitting on both sides of the fence in terms of their, they've come out and said, we know it's not a good idea. But yet they're having, you know, academy programs for kids and and things. So um, I think a big part of that, too, again, it's always the adults. The adults have to get together and say, okay, we're not going to allow this to happen. Lacrosse has done a really good job of not allowing it to happen. Yeah, good. But hockey obviously has not. And we see it all the time. Oh, you might Mm -hmm. get just play hockey. And I almost want to look at the parents and think, well, I'll tell you, that's going to not end well. That'll end with a good high school career. Yep. Burnout or injury. Yeah, burnout, injury. I just don't. They just don't develop athletically. Yeah, the true. Guy that I saw go on to play in the NHL again. All had to choose a sport. They were not at the, no. The sport was not chosen for them when they were eight. Hmm. They were the best at everything coming up, and suddenly through you know after high school it was like, okay, I can't play baseball anymore. You know, I'm going to college to play hockey. You know, whatever it was, but. It was really rare that you saw one of the, you see more of these specialists now because there's more parents trying to make that happen. And a lot mm-hmm. of times economically, I was, I had another uh, conversation with somebody today and their hockey's become a, a sport where economically you can spend a lot of money and make your kid into a pretty good player. Yeah. Just, you know, just keep throwing money at it and, and your kid will, will get better, particularly early on. Mm-hmm. And we have these phenomenons and you've probably seen this. There's the early succeeder phenomenon, which is documented. It's not something that we made up. Mm-hmm. Kids who tend to have their growth spurt earlier, kids who are successful 
uh, you know, more successful than they appears earlier based on having their growth spurt earlier and or having an earlier birth date during the birth year in these birth year sports like ice hockey. And parents get deluded into thinking that their kid is gifted and mm-hmm. not realize that they're just winning the, they're winning the maturation race right now. Yep. And it's interesting with my son, because I would always say to my son, you'll work your way past two or three kids every year. And he kind of looked at me and didn't believe me. And now he does believe me because he's worked his way past. But also the maturation thing, he was a year and a half ago, he was five, three. Now he's six feet, hmm. you know, and that's a huge change. Yeah. Massive growth spurt. Yep. You know, in one year was, I think one year was seven inches. Wow. Man. Yeah, seven inches in one year. Yeah. Wow. Five, three to five, 10. Wow. And but that's, you know, and that's a, a, a unique to boys pretty much. Yep. The girls do not tend to, to get that same extended growth spurt kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the, the boys do, and it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly, you know, kids that were ahead suddenly can't even keep up with these kids that are now, you know, six feet tall at 15 years old. And in our case, you know, they've been lifting weights and working out and doing the things they're supposed to do. And and suddenly someone who might have had a little bit more talent at a younger age is way, way behind just because the other kid grew up. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about males or we've used males as an example as an example in a lot of these talks. But let's say you have a female non-athlete who wants to be in shape, whether it's a young girl or an adult. How do you convince them to let go of the traditional kind of cardio routine? and work on strength training? Well, one, I think I try to emphasize all the time that exercise is a very bad weight loss tool. I tell everybody, not just young girl, but every person that I talk to, and particularly every female, I tell them, do not, don't, we should not be teaching the idea that exercise is a weight loss tool because particularly for females that tend to be heavier, Mm -hmm. we're giving them a very false sense of hope. You know, I always tell them, exercising for weight loss is like trying to drive spikes with a tack hammer. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work and it's not going to work. You're going to have to do a tremendous amount of exercise and you're not going to get very much benefit. Yeah. And so I think that's the initial thing that you have to get across to them. The other thing is you have to bring strong role models to them. One of the problems is that a lot of the role models that we had in strength training, whether it was male or female, were drug users. Hmm. You know, whether it's bodybuilders or CrossFit athletes or whatever it is, yep. sometimes people will look at the muscularity of it and think, oh my God, I'm never, I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to look like that. Yep. I would always jokingly say, don't worry, you, 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 don't, you would never work hard enough to look like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Many, many guys have been working their whole life to look like that. And right. And I, you know, exactly. You know, most people never have to worry about being too muscular. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'm worried about being too muscular. It's like, yeah. That's probably not on your list of things to worry about. Mm-hmm. And But the other thing too is if you get a female who is obviously muscular and really androgenic, you have to acknowledge that too. True. And realize that, okay, you know, if you're like one of the things I used to say with women, if you have women that are weightlifting or lifting weight strength training for appearance, things like squats are not great exercises. Hmm. Because – have you ever met a woman who wanted bigger legs? Yeah. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> never, right? Yeah. It's amazing how, you know, right away people will start, oh, you know, squats, best exercise you can do. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if the squat is the best exercise you can do for a young female who doesn't want bigger legs. One of the things we used to run into when I very first started with our female college athletes, we did a lot of Olympic lifting and our girls weren't real fond of traps either. Hmm. You know, the girls would come in literally despondent. About like, look at me, look at these yeah. muscles, look at these things. Yeah. I'd be like, you look great. And what you realize is I have a friend, Valerie Waters, who trains actresses in Hollywood. And one of the things she used to always say is it doesn't matter how you think they look. Hmm. It matters how they think they look. Yeah, you're right. And so you have to validate that part of it. Like, okay, you know, if you don't like blank, okay, then let's see if we can find ways to work on that. But like, if you don't like your legs, a lot of times, you know, squatting and getting bigger quads probably isn't the solution, mm-hmm. you know, a more hip dominant type program, you know, and you hate to say, you know, but a more hip dominant is going to be more gluten hamstring focused. 
Mm-hmm. You know, most women would like better glutes and hamstrings and a little less quad. Yeah. So when you're designing programs for recreational females, I would favor more glutes and hamstrings and a little less quads. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense. And I, you know, I would favor not, you know, not Olympic lifting, not overhead pressing, not going after things that are going to really build big traps. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's a muscle that, you know, women do not generally look and think, yeah, I want those big, like I want football yeah. player traps. Yeah. So I think that's part of it is that you've got to look at it and realize that if it's a recreational person, then something that is a little more selective bodybuilding oriented mm-hmm. might not necessarily be such a bad idea. It doesn't mean we can't stay with the same push, pull legs, core kind of idea. Yep. But the way you tailor that might be slightly different. Yeah. Makes sense. So in general, are you more of a fan of unilateral movements than bilateral as far yeah. as lower body? In yeah. General, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. generally not a fan of bilateral movements. I would look and say about the only thing from a strength standpoint, you know, we will do trap bar deadlifts are probably the only bilateral exercise we do with our beginners we'll we'll squat we'll goblet squat again if i'm teaching you know again if i'm teaching my athletes mm-hmm. they're going to learn more. they're going to learn to goblet squat and they're going to get pretty strong in the goblet squat we're never going to progress to back squats we may progress to some front squats we may do some trap bar deadlift but mm-hmm. in general we're going to do a lot more one leg squat what you know skater squat kind of which i don't love that term anymore even though i think i coined it yeah. um one leg straight leg deadlift things like that the unilateral exercises, I think, have way more carryover to sport. Now, so so carryover is one of the reasons. Is another one just the load that you put on your body too? You can decrease the load by doing it unilaterally versus a heavy back squat. Yes, and that's where you get into that idea we talked about earlier about orthopedic cost. Mm-hmm. When you start looking at the orthopedic cost of that exercise with back things like back squatting, there's an orthopedic cost to the lumbar spine. Mm-hmm. through the back squat that there may not be in the front squat or in the goblet squat or, or that orthopedic cost is lessened yeah. you know if you said okay let's make it you know it you know x number what is it let's say you know if a back squat has an orthopedic cost of 10 maybe a front squat has an orthopedic cost of six and a goblet squat has an orthopedic cost of five those are just mm-hmm. made up numbers but the idea is that you can lessen the wear and tear on the non-target tissues mm-hmm. by making better choices yeah and that's how i feel i used to be all bought into olympic lifts and i still believe that there's a great time and place for them they're amazing lifts but i started early on i started thinking about with a movement like the snatch that cost to benefit ratio and the risk to reward ratio and are there other movements that i could do that could give me that a very similar training effect if not a better one but not put my body under as much risk and wear and tear so that was something yeah. that And I think it's funny. I think sometimes the clean beats you up worse than the snatch as you get better at the clean. Mm-hmm. But it depends. But we only close grip snatch. So like we never snatch like we won't use a wide snatch grip. We would use the same clean grip and finish in a, a more like an overhead pressing kind of position when we snatch. Or for the sake of the shoulders. Snatch. Exactly, for the sake of the shoulders to lessen. It's you know, the idea of, of lessening the orthopedic cost. Mm-hmm. All right. So one other question that I had for you uh, that I'm anxious to hear you talk about is uh, this topic of internet critics. So on Instagram and things like that, I I love the content you put out there, but almost everything that you put out, there's always going to be someone out there or many people out there that either pick it apart or find their own little opinion that they want to give on it. So well, what are your thoughts on all that? Uh, you know, I think... It's a, it's good. It's a little bit of a loaded question because I think you already probably know my answer. But mm-hmm. I I think with the internet critics, one of the things that you have to do is you have to examine the critic. And I've said this and people get very offended. But when I get criticized by someone on Twitter who has two followers, I think, okay, you have two followers. Like there's two people in the world who actually care what you have to say. So yeah. stop, stop posting on my page. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, someone else will come back and say, oh, that's not right. You know, people should be able to have an opinion. And, they, and I'm like, yeah, they should. I, you're right. But mm-hmm. the problem with opinions is people look at them and think they have validity because sometimes if you're a good writer, you can be a good critic. Mm-hmm. When in fact, and that's why I always, a couple times a year, I post uh, that man in the arena poem. You know, it's not the critic that counts. Yeah. But the, it's the, you know, the man in the arena. 
And that's the way I look at it in terms of there's always going to be critics and the internet has just opened up the world for these critics. It's opened up a massive space for these people to, to jump in Mm -hmm. and, and play gotcha. Oh, look at this or look at this. And my whole thing is just look at those people and ask yourself, what have they accomplished? Yeah. And because most of the time, and that's where the, you know, the, the poem says it's not the critic that counts and it's not. It's not the critic that counts. It's the man in the arena. It's the person. What I want to know is what's the person who's doing the job on a day-to-day basis saying versus the critic. Mm-hmm. Who usually they don't do your job. Usually they've never done your job, but they're very good at criticizing your job. That's internet critics in a nutshell. When mm-hmm. you look and you look and think, you know, this guy doesn't coach anybody, doesn't have any clients, has never done the things that I'm doing but it's so easy to jump on Twitter or Instagram and, and try to poke holes in this based on theory or sometimes based on these little N equals one studies. Like, well, what I do is this. Mm-hmm. And I always want to look at people and say, well, what you do doesn't really matter. Yeah. Try That's to for you. do what you do. Yeah. But try to do it with somebody else. Try to get somebody else to True. do what you do. Yep. Tell me what the result is mm-hmm. and then do that. Like, and you know, people always say to me, Sometimes they're critical because I'll fall back on my experience, but I'll look at it and say, I've been doing this for 38 years. Mm-hmm. And in that 38 years, you know, I've, I've seen guys get to the national football league. I've seen guys get to the national hockey league. I've seen guys get to the Olympics and some of them from, from literally children to those things. So mm-hmm. I think experience counts for something. And so, you know, if you're, if you're going to criticize me, I would like you to at least have some level of similar experience. Yeah, good point. I mean, I, I think you're in a unique situation. You have kids at home too who are probably either already in or starting to get into that kind of social media scene. So it gives you a chance to possibly have some really good conversations with them about that same kind of stuff. Have you had any talks with them about how to oh, handle yeah. that? We, yeah. funny, we talk about it all the time. And I, I think like I don't worry about handling it, to be honest. One of my athletes was complaining that they like, oh, I get so mad. And I was like, don't get mad. I do it to myself. I do it on purpose. Like I posted the agility ladder thing the other day on purpose. Yeah. The agility ladder video. I like agility ladders because I knew that would bring out the, you know, the idiots talking about, yeah. you know, the anti-ladder crowd. And, and I want to do that. You want to create some dialogue. And sometimes yeah. you want to, ex- you want to have these people expose themselves as what they are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you're creating, you're giving them the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what's the quote? Um, Better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it, I think is the quote. And and what happens with a lot of these people is that's what they do. They open themselves up and they show that, okay, they, that they don't really know what they think they know. Mm-hmm. And it happens with kids all the time now, especially like kids that are your kid's age and even younger, just kids thinking that they can just give their opinion and there's no consequence for it or there's who cares what they say. Right. Exactly. And that, that's, I mean, that's the, I would say there's no editor on the internet. Yep. And, and that's both good and bad. It's good in the sense that it's allowed a lot of people to have a voice and to have an opinion. It's bad because it's allowed a lot of people to have a voice and have an opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Mike. Brian, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to get back to business here.